What a wonderful preparation for the thoughts that I have to share. I love being a part of Bethel and experiencing together the worship, and uh, it's just great to be here, isn't it? Uh, You're trying to hide it, but I can see it in your face. You really came to hear Steve. Yeah. (laughs) But please understand that Steve understands that some of us young guys are just chomping at the bit, looking for experience to preach. This morning, after the confusion of the introduction on this message, we'll be loosening your grip on the world. Just a point of clarification. And what we want to do this morning is to focus a little bit on the attitudes that surround these choices that we're making. This morning, we'll, our message will come to you in two parts. Pastor Brad will complete it. But first of all, if I could just be given a moment to share from my heart, God has given me a verse, a scripture that has just stayed with me through the years of my Christian experience. 2 Corinthians 5:15, he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died. Christ's death on the cross is a model for us to die to ourselves. I wouldn't mind having this on my tombstone, but I think even more importantly than that, I would hope that it's in my wife's heart and that she would say on that day, this man did not live for himself, he lived for Christ and invested in me. That is a dynamic to the Christian life that must consume us all. I can still remember calling on an 85-year-old man from one of my former ministries who was considered a leader in the church. He quoted endless verses and articulated great theology, but his entire demeanor and conversation was singly and solely focused on him. For 85 years, he was consumed that way. He really didn't talk with you. He kind of talked at you. And all you needed to do was to provide a few ahas and yes and uh, uh, that a boy and uh, that was all that was required in the conversation. And one day he said to me as I was calling on him in his home, he said, Pastor, you really seem tired today. Well, I was and I was tired of listening to him talk about himself. It, It was just exhausting. But I remember thinking to myself, When a man misses the central point of why Christ died, all theology, all quoted verses are compromised and marginalized in a sea of self-consumption. Thursday night, Abraham Thomas spoke to the Baptist Children's Home Board, of which I've been a member for 18 years. And in his presentation, he told us that since 1993... Agape Royal Ministries has planted 185 churches in seven states of India, established 16 children's homes with 305 children, established Lagos College of Theology with 140 students and 22 baptisms last month. His heart literally dripped with, I have only one goal, to glorify God. And I want to see God do something through me every day. I thought, what a powerful perspective. 
And then he shared with sadness that he had gone to one of the villages in India. And the man said to him, thank you for coming, but you're too late. I already sacrificed my son to one of the Hindu gods. Tragically, that man never heard that God himself sacrificed his son for us. We have a responsibility to get that message out, to live for the kingdom, to get our eyes off of ourselves, and to have a loosened grip on the world. Several attitudes that surround it. Number one, I would suggest that we need not bitterness, but forgiveness. A verse that God has really embroiled into my heart over the last several years as I've counseled with many different situations is Ephesians 4.30 that says, Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, forgiving each other. What's the answer to all six of these uninvited, undesired guests in our life? Forgiveness. And how do these attitudes of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and all that stuff, how do they get into our lives? They come by our hanging on to life for ourselves. And when you're hanging on to life for yourself, especially in your marriage, your marriage will never be what it could and should be. Before I come, came to this pulpit this morning, I received two heartbreaking emails describing regret and pain over marriages, and the, and the keynote of both of them was I was too filled with myself to be a good marriage partner. It's so true. Do you remember the series introduced with the concept of not counting life dear unto ourselves? And how do we not count life dear unto ourselves? We stop this endless pursuit of singly and solely living for enjoyment, living for comfort, living for pleasure. Uh, as you probably know, I do a lot of premarital counseling. And often as I try to explain the realities of marriage to a young couple about to enter marriage for the first time, it is so interesting to watch them, how they respond. They're sitting there googly-eyed looking at each other, holding hands under the desk. They think I don't notice, but I do. And, and I say, no, I just want to describe love to you. And I, I, you need to understand that love suffers long. That's where it starts. You're going to have to put up with certain things with your marriage partner that you didn't know about him or her before you entered marriage. And I look across the desk, and they look at each other. They go, I'm not going to suffer, are you? <laughs> I'm just going to enjoy this. This is going to be wonderful. And I want to say that this loose grip of life is for me must be sacrificed when we enter marriage. When For years, pastors and Bible teachers addressed the subject of marriage, and they almost universally used Ephesians chapter 5. And it was almost like the only thing that God cared about in marriage is that husbands love and wives submit. So we heard that over and over again. It has finally dawned on the Christian community that our entire approach to the Christian life impacts our marriage. Truths like reckoning yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, that's a marriage 
perspective. Yielding your body as a living sacrifice. Walking by the Spirit. Setting your affection on things above. Being filled with the Spirit. Advancing God's kingdom. All of those apply to marriage. So it should not surprise us that loosening our grip on self-consumed living would benefit our marriage. It would become a fountain of blessing between husbands and wives. A wife came to her husband one day and said, you have a place deep in your heart, and every time I do something you don't like, you bury it there. The husband came to realize that what he was doing was violating God's description of love, which says, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. That man was me. And when I came to realize what I was doing in my marriage, I asked God to deliver me from that kind of selfish living. The concept of loosening your grip on life for yourself and your own interest is one of the greatest investments that we make in our marriage. God has called us to be Christ exalters, to be kingdom advancers, And in the years of counseling Christian couples, one of the most difficult marriages to counsel is the self-consumed husband. I caught a call from a a man one day from one of my former ministries. He'd been a very selfish husband. His wife had desperately tried to preserve the marriage, and he had crushed and stomped on her over and over again. And frankly, I was not excited about taking the case, but reluctantly I agreed, telling the man, I'll accept this challenge if, the, if you understand that the first six sessions are going to be completely directed to you. He said, I don't care. Whatever, you're going to, whatever you want to do, just do it. Take us. We need help. He survived the first five sessions very well, and I did exactly what I said I was going to do. I kept on him. I kept focused on him and just tell, told her, respond to him, respond to his love. And in the sixth session, he just couldn't take it anymore. And he looked at her, and with his finger in her face, he said, When are you going to address your failures? And I got my little finger in his face and said, As soon as you address yours. And I want to say that this attitude is so key to this whole thing. If we're ever going to experience the Christian life as it ought to be experienced, we're going to get rid of this bitterness that destroys marriages and destroys lives. And here's my chance. A pastor who counsels people trying to help them through their problems to say to you, please address bitterness in your heart. Secondly, I'd like to suggest that an attitude that we need to address is not complaining, but thankfulness. When you're advancing God's kingdom, you're thanking him for his provision. When you're advancing your kingdom, you're complaining about everything that comes into your life that you don't like. I was out playing with my five-year-old grandson the other day, and he hopped on one of our many bicycles in the garage We have more bikes in our garage now than we've ever had. Go and figure. No kids at home. 
But Carrie loves garage sales and keeps thinking about the grandkids. I'm not bitter. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm thankful for it. But I... (laughs) So little Gideon uh, gets on one of the bikes and his 10-year-old brother says, if you ride that bike, I'm going to tell Dad because you need a helmet. So he got off the bike and he got on a trike and the trike was too small for him and he was pedaling for all he was worth to try to keep up with his older brother. He looks over at me and says... Papa, why did you even buy this trike? It's so small. And I looked at him and I said, well, Gideon, because you're not the center of the universe. And there are other grandchildren that I have in this world besides you. And as I was talking to Gideon, I was thinking about how God sometimes must think about us. As we think we are so much the center of everything that's going on. Would you, for a moment, look at a powerful passage in the middle of Romans chapter 1 describing man's descent into his own depravity. He says, Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish heart was darkened. Do you find yourself subtly holding attitudes deep within your soul that are most revealing? Thankless spirits, when we're hanging, hanging on to our own kingdom, we never let God be God, and we're not thankful for his provision. And when you don't let God be God, no amount of knowledge in your mind will ever straighten out your soul. How important is it that we be thankful? In this central text on depravity, Paul exposes thanklessness as the pivotal point of man's departure from God. I've said to many parents as I've tried to help them in their parenting, as they work with little preschoolers, I said, do you want to instill something in the, ch- in the heart of your child that will, all things being equal, keep him from immorality, keep him from substance abuse, and many of the common addictions of the day, would you like to do something? Cause him to be thankful. And fathers look at me and say, how do you possibly get a child to be thankful? I said, well, by being thankful. At the end of the meal, you get up and you look at your wife and you say, thank you, honey, for the lovely meal. Or thank you for the meal, whatever is the condition of of, of things. (laughs) And then you look at your son and you say, and what do you say? Some of the most pitiful, obnoxious people in the world are people who have been given everything and they honestly believe they deserve it all. One of the fundamental mistakes that I believe baby boomers have made with raising their children is that they determined their children would not lack anything that they lacked in their childhood. And so they worked their heads off and they gave them everything. But they fail to instill one key ingredient in the hearts of their children. Thankfulness. And the result was they presumed provision. And they failed to recognize that God was being gracious. And the culture has done exactly what Romans 1 said. They've become fools. Their hearts have been darkened. God has given them over to sexual impurity. They worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. 
And they've been filled with every kind of wickedness. That's where we are. Our immoral, secularized society is the result of our failure to instill in the hearts of our children a spirit that says God is God, and we are thankful for his provision. Think about it. When you are thankful, it draws your heart to God. I think the last corrupted holiday will ever be, (laughs) that there will ever be, is Thanksgiving. It's hard to corrupt thankfulness. Because thanksgiving draws our hearts to God. Marianne Vincent once said, The atheist's most embarrassing moment is when he feels profoundly thankful for something but can't think of anyone to thank. (laughs) And an evidence of whether you are loosening your grip on the self-consumed life is evaluating the thanksgiving level of your heart. Like many Bethel gardeners this week, I went out looking at my perennial garden and rejoicing that many of last year's plants survived the winter, poking their heads out of the Indiana soil. And I don't know just why it was, because I don't think I'm a complainer normally, but I was just complaining to Carrie about uh, some unnecessary grief that somebody in one of our former ministries had brought into my life. And uh, Carrie was listening respectfully. And then she just popped up with, do you remember? She was the one who introduced us to perennials in the first place. If it wasn't for her, we wouldn't be enjoying these lovely flowers today. Good point, Carrie. (laughs) When you're going... Through life, we can be held hostage by wrong attitudes. And I get a little bit concerned these days because some of us watch too much news. I mean, we're just, you can watch it all the time, can't you? Just kind of flip it from Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, and and when you're not watching that, you're listening to Rush and Hannity and... You're sure that the, that the country is doomed and uh, Obamacare is going to do us in. And I think we ought to speak out on all those issues. I'm not saying that. But you know what? I ask my own heart, am I more concerned about advancing God's kingdom or fretting about this one? Some of us are so concerned about the future of our nation, we've forgotten that God has a kingdom to be advanced right now. And that kingdom is not ours. It's God's. You'll never have another opportunity. And life is going fast. Do you remember the promise that God gave to Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, back in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11? He said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, and to give you a future and a hope. Oh, I've heard that verse misinterpreted and misapplied and misdirected so many times. What plans did God have for Judah? the southern kingdom of Israel? The answer is Babylonian exile. He says that in the previous verse, just the verse, don't miss the connection here. He thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. What was God saying? Tough days are ahead for you, Judah. 70 years of Babylonian captivity. But God allows nations 
to go through hard times and still accomplish his individual purpose in the lives of his people. What part does the sovereignty of God have to do with all that's going on in our country anyway? Could it be that God has a similar plan for our wholeness and our dealing with our sin? Could it be that he's doing the same thing that he did 2,600 years ago with Judah? How would God dare to tell these exiles that he had a plan to prosper them in the midst of their captivity? Warren Wearsby says, What life does to us depends largely upon what life finds in us. If you seek the Lord and want his best, then circumstances will build us and prepare us for what he has planned. They won't harm us. That's exactly what Peter said in 1 Peter 3 and verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake... You will be blessed. Whatever life's particulars are doing at this moment in your life, they are not intended to hurt you. Whatever he allows to come into your life, it comes for your good and God's glory. We do not relate to a God who is deliberately hurting his people. He's too loving to be unkind. He's too wise to make a mistake. So rest in the truth that God has a plan for you. And would you deal with these two attitudes? Forgiveness. Turn bitterness to forgiveness. Turn complaining to thanking. Let's pray.